What a, what a day it's been already. Oh, it's so good to, to see you, to be a part of all of this, and to watch it grow. Uh, again, our collection for the coats will be on December 5th, and we're using coats as a, a shorthand, any, any winter gear, anything that would warm them up. Uh, plus, we're looking at um, hygiene kits, if you've got the extras, um, you know, the trials, the travel size, and we put them into bags. But again, that's for here. You may have other needs where you are right now. In fact, you do. But just look for them, and you please remember this. Be kind to them. Give to them. Love on them. This is not so that they will come to our church. This is because they are human beings created in the image of God. They are due dignity, love, and grace. And that's what we want to supply in every interchange with them. So, I want to talk to you about a group that is often named, but very, very little understood. Whenever the Jews were taken into captivity, and anybody who's gone to Bible classes and uh, has um, gone to vacation Bible school or the like knows about the going into captivity because that's the start of some amazing stories about, um, well, whether it's Assyrian, whether it's Babylonian, they're taken over and eventually they're allowed to return, perhaps um, Cyrus or whoever makes a decree, eventually they're allowed to return. But what you might not know is this. Most Jews were not taken. They did not enslave an entire nation. They took the royalty. They took the, what we would today, we would call them the academy, uh, those that were educated. They took the royal lineage. They took the cabinet. They took the serving individuals that were in politics or in any, uh, like the very, very wealthy. They would take them. But the rest, perhaps 70, 80%, were never taken into captivity. They were left there. Left without their priest, left without their borders, left without any protection or authority figure. And back in those days, if you did not have a king, you were open. Uh, you are just free game for people. Well, those that remained did what they could do. They huddled. They didn't have all the books that we call the Old Testament. Because many of those are going to be written in captivity and post-captivity. You'll have the Chronicles, for example, are written during captivity, edited and then made to present it to the people saying, this is your heritage, this is your family, this is our story, this is why we're going back. And so, although it covers the same territory as First and Second Kings, it's a very different history. Because in First and Second Kings, there are a whole lot of people go bad, and God says they were evil, and they were buried. In Chronicles... They always repent. Even Manasseh, the worst of the worst in Kings, in Chronicles, repents, has a beautiful song about repentance. Now, why? Because they were getting the people ready to come on. We're going back. God will take us back. It's going to be brilliant. But when they got back, guess what? They found the people that were still there. Now, these people would not accept their books. No, no, they have the Pentateuch, they have the Torah, they have a, a few of the other books, and, and those, the writings they would call them, the Psalms and like, and those they revered, but not those other strange books you're bringing. You are ruining the tradition, you're killing our church, you're bringing in new books, you're bringing in new ideas. We've been here. 
And while we had no access to Jerusalem, we worshipped very closely by on Mount Gerizim. And while your traditions seem a distant echo to ours, we are the true people of God who have never left God and we have stayed here and been faithful unto God. And we call those people Samaritans. When I grew up, people would tell me, I don't know why I keep focusing on the microphone. I'm not using this microphone. I'm just leaning over. It's just, it's a, I'm sorry. I'm the, I'm the designated. He wants me to move over, in fact, right? All right. Because the microphone, normally people like it when I'm obscured. All right. <clears throat> there you go. Move that one down. Becky, you, I'm sorry. I didn't want to touch your microphone. I know it's a union issue, but uh, I did the best I could do. The... Um, the chief, the union steward just told me I had to. So I, I, I've been double-blinded there. The Samaritans, when I grew up, they would tell me the Samaritans were the people that were Jews that had married Gentiles and their kids were called the Samaritans. Anybody else get told that? That's what I was told all the time. No, no. Now, did some Jews marry some Gentiles? Yes. Did they have babies? Yes. Was that new? No. It had been going on all through the Old Testament. You find some of the heroes of the Old Testament weren't Jews. The faithful spies, they weren't Jews. You know, you, you find things like that. And so, this is normal, but it was an excuse for the Jews who came back. The Jews who came back with Babylonian attitudes, with ideas about the devil and such that the ones here didn't have. So, these people thought of themselves as the true church. These people thought of themselves as the true church. What happens? Well, I can remember. I can remember growing up in a church where anybody that wasn't us was doomed. And in fact, many of us were doomed. We were told that every Sunday. And that we had probably thought bad things. And we had thought we had done bad things. And therefore, I can remember the sermons. Uh, you'd be in one of these, you know, the storms would be coming. And one of the ministers would go, if Jesus is coming back in this storm, not all of you are going to heaven. And we're looking around going, you know, the 30 of us are here every week. You know, we're doing what we can do. But you don't say that out loud or you'll be the one left. And we didn't believe in the rapture, but you'd still be left behind in a different way. So moving on. I understand that we are the true church thing. Every cult believes it. And many religions believe it, that they're the only ones. And what happens when they collide and they're made to live in the same area because that's the only area. And back then, land was not movable. You did not give land over to another unless you were taken over. And so when people like Ezra come back and say, right, we're rebuilding the walls right where they are. Sorry, you can't live here anymore. And shoved people out. The anger between the two groups became the worst family fight. By the way, there are still some Samaritans. Most likely, it's very hard to get a count. Most likely, they are down to under a thousand now because they've never been on the winning side of whatever group wants their land. But they're still around. They were the greatest evil to a Jew. But that's only fair because Jews were the greatest evil to a Samaritan. They both thought their duty before God was to disapprove of the other. Listen to that again. They both thought they had a duty to disapprove. We came back to America back in the 80s. 
And um, there was um, the opportunity, we were in Ohio uh, for that first stretch, and the Ohio State Fair was on. Now, the Ohio State Fair takes place in August, which is the hottest time in the state of Ohio, and they conveniently hold it on acres and acres of asphalt, so it's even hotter. And you're walking, dying from, from ride to ride. But, you know, we'd been in Scotland where summer was 60s. You know, so we were, you know, we, we hit there. It was a bit warm. And the minister and his wife uh, said, you want to go to the fair? It's the largest one in America. And we've since found that there were four or five that are the largest fair in America. So we said, yes, yes, we will go. And so we, we went. Well, I was not quite aware that most of it was staring at chickens and cows. I thought there might be, I thought Ohio culture might have advanced past this, and all my Ohio friends right now are emailing me, and there are a lot of them. I love, I love my friends there. I, I found out after nine years I was free to leave. You might want to look into that. Anyway, it was wonderful people, <clears throat> wonderful people, uh, but the fair. On the way up, uh, the, the minister said, are you guys getting thirsty? We could stop here at a Burger King, go through the drive-thru, get something to drink. I said, that'd be brilliant. That'd be lovely. So we didn't go through the drive-thru for some reason. We went inside. And there were a couple of women that weren't wearing enough clothes to satisfy this minister. And it was just... <clears throat> we get in the car. And I looked at him and I said, we're going to a fair in the heat, surrounded by non-Church of Christ people. They're going to be wearing this all day long or not wearing, whatever you want to, however you want to describe this. If you, if you start now getting disapproving, you're never going to enjoy the fear. Made no dent at all. At all. And uh, even as we'd walk past a, a, a pavilion where they're singing Christian songs with instruments, I, I'm going, we, we have to go to the cows because there's nothing else that, we, that there's not a cycle of disapproval. But I bought into it because I thought that's what God wanted me to do too disapprove of those going door to door trying to get me to change the religion disapproval of anybody wearing the robes and holding the mitre or the light and this story's been here the whole time John 4 Jesus learned that the Pharisees were um, gaining and baptizing uh, I'm sorry now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John to the Pharisees everything was a competition to Jesus nothing was Though, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and there's a sub-thing there. In other words, they were making it very difficult for Jesus, so he had to go somewhere else. But verse 4, he was going from Judea to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Here's where I'd have to disagree. No, you don't. You do not have to go. Now, by the way, that's by far the easiest, safest route. Straight through. But a faithful Jew would not do that. Because they would not eat or drink in Samaria. That if they had to go there, they'd shake the dust off their feet when they left. So that they would show God and all they disapproved of these people who were not religiously correct. Samaritans would, by the way, return the less than compliment. But Jews would take an elevation change of over a thousand feet down and up to go around Samaria. But Jesus had to go to Samaria. There is a clue. There's a clue that something special is about to happen. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Sychar, that's an interesting place to go because it's, it's a non-town now. 
over 100 years ago, the Samaritans had gotten on the wrong side of a war of messiahs and the like. And Sychar was basically a ruin. There were some intact homes, but not many. Homeless people gathered in that area. So he chose to go there. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Remember, land is identity. And identity is religion. And religion is politics. It was all one big ball. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. By the way, there's a little parenthetical statement in 8, verse 8. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Most likely, it would not have been Sychar because they would not have bought food from a Samaritan willingly. They probably had to ease all the way back to the nearest town in, outside of Samaria. So they're away. They're away. I, I even think Jesus might have even sat down by the well. It's not said here and said, so what you got? What are we going to eat? <laughs> and they're looking around going, you know, we've been unemployed for, we'll, we'll go. And so they go back. But somehow they're away. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now this story is an um, interesting story. Because when Jesus sat down, it was about noon, according to verse 6. You don't gather water at noon. Noon is hot. You gather water in the early and the late day. And you never gather water alone. Remember, Moses got his wife by coming upon the scene of several women who had come together as a group to get water. And some of the uh, Arabic traders in the region had come upon them and were trying to steal them and misuse them. And no, this is not a blanket slur against Arabs. That's just who lived there at that time. That was a reality in Britain. It was a reality. It, wherever you were, if you were a woman on your own or you had a, a group, but they were not powerful, you were in danger. Remember Moses ran in there and he you know, beat and fought and drove them off. And one of the women said, well, I'd like to introduce you to my, my dad, <laughs> you know, and, and married just like that. So there's a warning or a tactic. I'm not really sure what I'm offering it. <laughs> Regardless, here's a woman on her own. That tells you something about the woman from the village of Sikhar. That tells you something else. This is a homeless woman on the bottom rung. Now, we learned this as we, because I had no idea. We worked with the homeless um, I think maybe eight years out of the 10 we were in the Detroit area. I, I, I could be wrong on that. And my Rochester friends can correct me uh, online as you check in. We really love that. The, um, but was, as we worked with them, I found out there's a real pecking order. And some would not come for the food until others had left because the others would drive them away. There's a, and one of them was, we just referred to her as the queen of the homeless because she knew everybody. I'll never forget the time we had a big black SUV pull up and just sit there. And we're going, okay, what's going on? We're about to get shot because there are, the, well, you know, Detroit's lovely. And by the way, it's getting prettier and prettier uh, in the spring, especially when the gangs come out with their new colors. But it was, this was a, and I just walked over to her and I said, do you know who that is? And she just looked at, at the, and I did not ask her to find out. She just took off started banging on the window and it was a newspaper uh, wanting to see what we were doing uh, so I was just going we're all gonna die you know uh, all I've got to fight with right now is green bean casserole um, 
Which, mind, you know, some kids say that it'll kill them if they eat them. So we could try that. But this woman is at the bottom rung. She's a Samaritan, homeless. By the way, there are some feminist writers right now that are trying to make her into some big important person. And I have no problem with most of those writings that I see. But this one, you're missing the point. No, don't, don't remake her into something. She was at the bottom. Samaritan woman, sorry, but that was a handicap, alone getting water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? <laughs> Samaritan woman, I like this lady. She might be really difficult to be around, frankly, but I like her because for the first time, she's got a little bit of power <laughs> and it hits her like this and she goes, oh, you know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. She adds that. How can you ask me for a drink? And the scripture here, another parent, uh, parenthetical statement, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Duh. No. Really. That's the whole thing back then. They would rather associate with a Roman than a Samaritan. Family fights are the worst. Ask any police officer. Family fights are, the, uh, are that's where you're going to get shot. That's where you're going to get beaten. So, how can you ask me for a drink? If you eat or drink with somebody in Jesus' day, you are accepting them and fellowshipping. You are who you eat with. Jesus has come there and placed himself for this. He had to do this. But what? He answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I would like to just bring up something here. A lot of Christians try to out Jesus Christ. They try, and no matter what you say, they're going, no, no, no. <laughs> you need to be nice. I'm looking at Jesus going, that was a little sharp. It was also a little confusing. Brian, who led us through our, worship, uh, our communion, and thank you, Brian, and thanks to the Jays for being faithful members, literally day one, from day one. Um, as he brought up, you know, living bread. Living water. This was weird. And he looks and he goes, you don't even know who I am, but if you did, you'd be asking me for stuff. Sir, the woman said, she's not being mean. You got nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Uh, and it was deep. Um, archaeologists tell us that you would have had to have had about 90 feet of rope to get down there. That's a lot of rope. That's a lot of time to stand pulling because you got, unless somebody put a brace over it, you got to lean. If you don't know about this, if that bag or bucket hits the side, you don't have water. Uh, and nobody gets water for a while because the dirt's got to settle. She's saying, all right, how are you going to do that? You've got nothing. Interesting. Jesus is the only one that you've got nothing doesn't really work with. It doesn't because he's got stuff. Give him one fish and a bit of bread. He'll feed 5,000 people he invited home without asking you. Some of you are sending in year-end gifts already from $10 to much more. And I'm, I, Cammie and I almost go to tears when we see it because we know what it means. You are pouring out to us your uh, loaves and fishes. And look at what God's done already. I always lose count. We're 18 countries now, are we, Kirsten? Is it? Okay, 18 countries. 
and all over the place. If you don't tune in early, we do a 15-minute segment of some music and some, um, it shows you how to sign up for newsletters or the woman's newsletter or all the other. But it also shows maps of where this is going, and it's just amazing. Moving on. So, she, she said, are you greater than our father Jacob? Our father Jacob. They believed they were the faithful ones of God. They were the true Jews. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself. And also all of his sons and his livestock. This is a, as you know, we look at that and go, okay. No, this was huge. Our father and his lineage, we drink here. And you're a Jew. How are you going to give me water? You don't own the water. You don't have a rope. You're not allowed to use the well. What are you saying? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she doesn't get what he's saying. And neither would any of us. We would have thought, that's crazy. That's just crazy. What? So she gets a little bit, okay, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. Who could blame her? There's, there are very few things that are heavier per ounce than water. Uh, most airplanes, you cannot fill them up and then fill the seats. You're going to have to, fuel management's a real issue, especially if you're a private plane. Uh, no, you're going to back off on range or you're going to, you're going to overload. It's heavy. I forget. I used to know that. What is it? Six pounds a gallon or eight pounds a gallon? 8.33. Who needs Google? <clears throat> All right. So that explains why some of my sermons never got off the ground. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. Sir, give me this water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now, here's one of those times where it looks like Jesus is being rude because by every convention of the day, he is being rude. But he's also being correct. He's being rude to her because she's a woman. By convention, he's not supposed to be talking to her. He's supposed to make this deal with her husband. But Jesus isn't even doing that. He's got something else in mind. He goes, go get your husband. And she goes, I have no husband. And he said, I know. You've had five and the man who's using you now is not your husband. This woman had been thrown away by everybody. Every faithful person of God would have thrown away because she's a Samaritan. A woman just makes it worse to them. She's homeless, on the bottom of the homeless rung. And she's been thrown away by five guys. And one guy's using her now, but that won't last long. She goes, I, okay. You know, I can see you're a prophet. You know stuff. So, she's going to get in theology with them. Our ancestors, and remember to her, that meant the faithful people of God. We worship God in this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. People, that's a hanging curveball. And I don't play sports, but I know that metaphor. And I doubt that I could hit it, but everybody else evidently can. This is a softball pitch. This is one of those things. Here we go. A stupid argument hit me. Because everything in the Old Testament points to Jerusalem. And Jesus doesn't answer or deal with it. 
Because listen very carefully. Not only did Jesus not have a duty to disapprove, he had no interest in winning an argument. He wanted to win her. Therefore, even when she was theologically wrong, he would not correct her. I want to say that again. Even when he was theologically wrong, he didn't correct her. The only time he corrected bad theology was when the leaders of the church were using it to gain control over other people and forgetting about love. And then you can go read Matthew, his whole chapter, where he just falls on them. But the others, no. Theology wasn't as important to Jesus as it is to most of us. And I know I'm going to get email about that. That's okay. I've gotten email before. <laughs> woman, Jesus replied. And again, woman, to us doesn't sound, if I were in my house and go, woman, I wouldn't, because Cammie's American, she has a gun, there, there are layers of issues there. But in Jesus' time, it, it meant ma'am or dear lady. Um, there's a story there, but I only have six minutes, and you know what story I was going to think about there, Cammie. Uh, I had to save my son's life. Because um, he was copying me. And I was doing it jokingly. He thought he had found a source of power. So we both ran into the night, into the storm and survived. <laughs> Jesus said, believe me, a time's coming where you're not going to worry about the mountains. It doesn't matter. What? This is one of those what moments. Like when Paul goes, circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. What? That would have been nice to know 1,200 years ago. Jesus says the same. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus has picked a side. And since he's picked a side, those books are in the Old Testament. And that's fine. He goes on, time's coming. And it's come now. We're true worshipers. We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His, in other words, not in a building. God and the worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And any legalist out there, I've been one. I understand where your head goes here. Spirit does, and spirit, you got that. You understand that, although it doesn't manifest very often. And others, you, you're really big on the truth. I would submit to you that the truth must be defined by the context of Jesus' speech to this woman. Because that's what he's talking about right now. This is the truth. She goes, I know. And you can almost hear the agony and hurt in her heart. The sighs of hope. She goes, that when the Messiah, the anointed one, which we, our word in, in the Greek is Christ. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain it all to us. And Jesus, for the first time in his life, told somebody who he was. He had never told the disciples this. Not yet. He had never talked about it with the family. There are no records where he ever approached the subject until now. And he leans forward and he goes, that's me. I'm here for you. He came to the worst woman within walking distance that a person could genuinely get to in those days. Because he had to go there. Because she was there. 
and she needed to know that even though society had thrown her away, and even though five men had thrown her away, God had not thrown her away, and God was still loving her enough to walk in and sit and wait for her to come. Many of you out there have been hurt by religion. I have been. But to be honest, I've also hurt people with religion. Back before I learned about grace and learned about Christ and read the Gospels enough to hear his voice in the way that he deals with people. And he looks over and says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned. They were very surprised to see him talking to a woman. But nobody asked why are you talking to her? In other words, they're all going, I think we're supposed to disapprove. But we better not ask a question. Because we think it's a trap. <laughs> it often was. Then leaving her water jar, she went back to the people and said to town and went to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. So this is a longer discussion and we got record up. Could this be the Messiah? They came and by the way, the end of the story is that Jesus made sure his disciples stayed with them for a couple of days. What does that mean? It means you're going to have to eat and drink with them. I'm going to make you erase those borders. Just like with the story of the good Samaritan, which we've not gotten to yet. Jesus always goes to the very worst people you can think of and say, I don't think you're bad. I love you and I've come to find you. I think in many ways I sympathize with her because I feel very often that I've been the person that was the, um, the one in the wrong deeply enough to where I would be lost if someone didn't come and sit and look at me and say, God loves you. Not, he's not going to love you better if you change. He's not going to love you better if you get great. He knows it's hard down here. And, and we just need to know we're, we're looking for you. Think of this. Think of that. It's just outstanding. And by the way, many of the Samaritans believed. So let's review. The first one to recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah was a woman in the temple. The first missionary to a foreign people was a woman. The first one to announce that Jesus had raised from the dead was a woman. It's almost like he's doing this on purpose. Because <laughs> he had to. He went out of his way. And he'll go out of his way for you. Because that's a God we got. We, we have a God that'll walk through the desert into a place everyone else disapproves. And sit down and wait. Knowing you're on the way. And when nobody else will keep you. He'll never throw you away. The word of the Lord. Let's come back up. and We have a, another song or two, I think. One. One song, that's right, okay. See, this is why they don't let me do things. <laughs> 